more coaches get high in the NFL, is load management becoming more of an issue even though people are playing? And is Brock Purdy winning a ring going to help him in the future or hurt him in the future? Let's talk about it. Talk about the NFL coaches and we're talking about the new head of coaches. And we're talking about my Seattle Seahawks getting Mike McDonald. Okay, the Seahawks have been needing a reboot for a lot of years, okay? And we thought it was them getting rid of Russ because he was becoming too much and he wanted to cook all the time. So they went away from that. They had Geno for a year, worked out great, went to the playoffs, and now we've hit this season where it was somewhat of a disappointing year. And we thought, oh, big playoff push. I never knew that. I never thought that was coming because you know what? I knew Juno was not the person that's going to drive you to the playoffs. So, but the thing is, Seattle has the team. Like, they have a playoff team. They have a defense with some great stars that are older and some veterans like Jamal Adams and Trayvon Diggs and Tyler Lockett. And then they also have some kids in Quandre and Witherspoon and, sorry, in, um, Tariq and, and Witherspoon and Mafe and DK is kind of still young and in uh, Jigba. So from they have all the things that you need. They're just missing the quarterback. But the fact is that they've been bottom league, bottom in the league on defense for the past few years, and that was Pete Carroll's got Pete Carroll's um, side of the ball. So to them to not be good in that department. That does look a little bad. But, you know, I'll ride with Pete Carroll till the wheels fall off. So I'm upset, but I understand the move, and I think it's a good move because the person I brought in, Mike McDonald, is a very good head coach and really did wonders with that Baltimore defense and did a great job in Michigan before. So he understands how to build the defense. And the thing is, to build this defense, it's not going to take much else. You just got to have the right coach at the helm. And I think he's going to do that because he's going to focus on defense and he's going to let the offense do the offensive thing. So the quarterback, if that's the one thing they got to worry about, well, this is a great quarterback draft. Even if you're not picking a top five, you might not get Bo. You might not get uh, Caleb or Drake. You might get someone else. But I think with the way this team is set up to win, you can get a rookie quarterback that has no money on him and you can do something good with it, right? So I think that it's a great, great hire for Seattle in realizing what they need to do because they've done really good in the offense really for a while now since Legion Boom had depleted because it's been on Russ and Russ did a really good job and they did two years with Gino. First year was great, second year not so great. But you know what? He still was great, good. So now we look at who he's going to hire at OC. Now he still hasn't hired an OC, but they did bring in Leslie Frazier as a consultant, something like that, assistant to the head coach. So the thing is though, Mike McDonald is the youngest coach in the NFL, right? So he needs some people that can be around and that has experience at the higher levels of coaching and can deal with that. So Leslie Frazier, he was even supposed to be a head coach a couple of years back before Kansas City did 13 seconds on us, right? So because the Bills defense was so good. So having Leslie Frazier, having people around him that has the experience is going to help Mike because it's not going to be like, oh my God, so much pressure. And also how much pressure is on him? Because the thing is, Seattle market is pretty nice. This isn't New York. This isn't LA. This isn't like the Steel City. This isn't Pittsburgh. This isn't Cleveland. Seattle's a pretty calm environment. So it's not expecting a lot to win out of this because also you've got San Francisco who is expecting to win all the time. So you're actually in a division that isn't expecting to do a whole lot right away. Now, they, I expect them to do a lot because I think the team is so ready. They just need a quarterback. But 
hitting a quarterback is not as easy as it might as I might be saying it is, right? So it might take a lot of time. But if they can get a quarterback in this draft and even be serviceable this first season, I think that's a leg off in this team. Talk about the second coach I got. Oh, before I move on, let's grade it. I'm gonna give this hire a B plus, not an A minus, not an A because he's not proven at the head coaching level and he is on the defensive side ball. And I thought Seattle might have been better to go offense, but Ben Johnson wasn't available and there wasn't really another OC that was gonna be offensive coordinator material that could be head coach, right? So I give the B plus. I think the spot is great for him. Great defense already set up for him. Young kid. Just got to figure out the quarterback and get the OC that can really help that offense grow. So B plus, as we talk about Dan Quinn, they're going to the Washington Commanders. I think it's a good job because, yes, he was the last spot available, but he's also a good coach because he's proven he's gone to a Super Bowl. He's gone to, he's gone to another Super Bowl as a DC with Seattle. So he's a culture builder. And I think that was the one thing Washington has been missing for many years. And not thinking against Ron Vera, Jay Gruden, those kind of coaches, right? But the fact is that the owner, and I'm not even going to bring his name up because I don't want to have his name associated with me. And the fact is that he had bring so much negative attention to Washington that they have been a laughing stock and people didn't care about them, thought they were worthless. And really, with the way that he was so problematic in the organization, drafting Dwayne Haskins as high, and it was, the coach didn't believe him, and the GM didn't believe him, but it was his guy. That's how bad it was in, in Washington. But now you go to Dan Quinn, who has proven that he can be a good head coach, right? And he's bringing in another OC that has been proven and that can actually win. He did it with Shanahan and Atlanta, and Atlanta and Shanahan covered the offense, and he covered the defense. Now he's bringing in Cliff Kingsbury, who didn't go to the Raiders, for which reasons we're not going to talk about. But Cliff has another shot to run the OC position and run it as a head coach and being if they can remake that offense into a great offense, Cliff can have another job. But before we talk about that, we got to talk about Cliff Kingsbury as the USC head coach. So everything coming out of the draft and Caleb Williams is that he doesn't want to go to Chicago. He understands that Chicago's never drafted a quarterback and developed him like other organizations have, right? So he's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Could we see another Jim Kelly? Maybe, potentially. But... If Chicago already has all these hesitations because of what he's saying, I might be open to a trade because, yeah, I might not have the trade stock, the value at that position, but I don't want to lose out and get someone that doesn't want to be there, right? And is not going to buy in. So could Washington go up one spot and give up two draft picks, two first round picks plus their first from this year? Why not? Caleb, if he's going to be what he's supposed to be, is a generational quarterback. So... If I'm Cliff, I know exactly, if I'm the Panthers, I know exactly what Caleb is. Because you not only do I have the scouting reports or, and, or the test and all that, I have first-hand knowledge of who Caleb Williams is, and that's through Cliff Kingsbury. So if Cliff gives a glowing, uh, glowing report of Caleb Williams, if I'm Washington, I've got that owner that wants to, that wants to win. I, want, I have the coach, finally, that I think I can win with. Why not go and shoot for the number one pick? Yeah, you might not have the pieces, but you have the money to go and spend in free agency. So if you're not getting in the draft, okay, that's sad, but you have the money. You have the most money in the NFL in free agency, cap space, and you have the second overall pick. So you can afford to lose the draft picks in a sense, right? Because you can go and 
get a uh, receiver in free agency if they have Caleb Williams. Or you can go draft a later, a later round receiver. Because, you know, receivers are always going to be good no matter what draft uh, round you're in. Look at Puka. Look at T. Higgins. Okay, so it doesn't mean you have to get a first-round pick. Yeah, yeah, it would be nice to have Caleb in another first-round pick. But if that's not the case, that's not the case. But if you have the option to go and get Caleb, it's not a bad idea to go and search for so I think with Cliff being there, you have first-hand knowledge of who Caleb Williams is. And if you think if Cliff gave the glowing review that most people think he is, go and shoot for him. But you know what? I think Chicago is unsure if they want to get Caleb because they'll be in the same exact position Matt Nagy was in with Justin Fields. They drafted him, and then Matt isn't even gone before the season was up. And then Ibukus came in, and now the whole situation is turned over again. So how great is it that Caleb's going to have a rookie season with Chicago? He doesn't want to be there. Questions at quarterback, uh, questions at head coach, and questions at GM. And then has to do the whole thing over again. That's a three-year cycle. Not a three-year cycle, but a cycle three times now. Hypothetically, again. That is for head coaching. But when talking about Dan Quinn and the head coaching spot, I think, like I said, culture builder, can run the defense, been, has some good pieces. They did trade some away, but you know they can draft them if they don't go for Caleb that it can get them in free agency. So I think he's a good culture builder. He did it with Dallas specifically because Dallas had good defensive players but had gotten through a rough spell before Garrett got there, right? So before McCarthy got there. So now Micah, Trayvon, uh, Lewis, all those players under Dan Quinn. Mike McCarthy doesn't take any credit for the defense. So Dan Quinn has shown he can build the defense back up, right? With later on picks, Trayvon wasn't that high. Micah, yes, but that's one person. As we talk about load management, though, okay, so the NBA threshold for games has, they put a threshold on the games and the fact that if the player doesn't hit this amount of games, then they cannot be um, in consideration for awards like MVP and stuff. So now we have Joel Embiid, who might be out for two months with a displaced meniscus flap. But the thing is, we knew that Joel Embiid was already questionable before he had this injury. They were like, maybe we should sit him out. But the thing was, he won MVP last season, so it's like, oh, we can go back-to-back with the way he was playing. He was like, absolutely incredible. But because of the fact that they put this threshold, if he missed time, he wouldn't have, been the, oppor- he wouldn't have the opportunity to win MVP. So now, he, now these players are having to play, not even through, through injury, not through injury, because they want to have the shot at the, the, uh, the awards. But now you're risking the fact that yeah, you might get the award or might have a shot at it, but you might have also take the risk of injuring yourself. Tyrese Halliburton is four games away from losing $40 million if he doesn't play. So load management, this whole threshold of, hit, of making games, and now it's in contracts and it's in awards. The fact is that we were so worried about people, about athletes not even playing, that we put a threshold that now to reach it, it's putting the players at risk. So I know there's no really happy medium. There's no way that both sides can come to a conclusion and be both happy with it, right? They need to set precedent. They don't want to have another Kawhi situation, but they don't want to have a situation where fans are not getting what they paid for. People, I understand. I, I mean, I know people I've done it with football. The fact is that uh, you want to save all your money so your player, your favorite team can come to your city, right? And then when the fact is when you go there and your player, your favorite player, your favorite team doesn't have their best players on the court, it's like, 
it ruins the moment. And I would, I would totally understand if that happened. So that's what the NBA was trying to avoid. Like Michael Jordan, I've seen, I've seen a stat where it was like he only missed like two games or few, four or five games throughout an 82-game season. Now players are missing like 30, 40 games before this threshold is invented, right? So what can the NBA do to minimize the injuries now that have come and feels they're trying to make this threshold but also have the ability to rest look i'm not a doctor i don't know how many games they should play how many games they're not sure play. but could we say that 82 games might be just too much could we say that we might need to lower the games that are played in the nba look you already have this you already have the play-in tournament then you have the uh mid-season tournament you're adding all these extra games you might as well take them out Take these, take some games off of it, and you might get the players to not risk them having injuries, to make them play most of all of their games. I'm not saying that's the the solution to knock off games, but this is not gonna stop. They're gonna always want to hit the threshold to make their MVP to have rookie of the year, whatever the award is, or for contract situations. Now this is gonna put an emphasis on the organizations to put these in their contract saying you've got to play 70% of your game otherwise you miss out on this money right so because the leagues the organization see it as we know they're not going to hit it so we'll put it in there and we don't have to pay them right then players are going to be like we want to make the money so we'll play it but then risk them injury so it's like what is in it what is the final answer i'm not sure but i think that putting less games on the schedule might just be the beneficial because you play so many games as it is and it's a high high functioning sport and high high intensity losing a couple games here and there might not be the worst thing for the nba yeah you might lose it on on sales ticket sales all that stuff but by you even making like almost like half the nba playoff teams make it in plus these play-in tournament plus these playing games you kind of make it back because playoffs mean that much more and the tickets mean that much more so I'm not going to say, I don't know the math, I don't know, but I think that the playing games also make more money than a regular season game would be, right? And plus, you can't touch 3, 4, 5 million viewers on each game. You can't. 3, 4, 5 million, I don't even know if that's been, it's been happening in the past few years. 1 million as I've heard, one, in around 1 million plus, 1.6, is what the average NBA game is, of a higher scale. So why don't you cut down your games and maybe you will raise viewership because there's less games to watch, right? After all, the NFL makes so much viewership because it's one game a season. Now, I'm one game a week. And I'm not saying do like 30 games, no. But maybe by having less games, it has more enticement of making fans want to watch, right? Because 82 games to follow, that's some diehard stuff. And I have never actually watched 82 games of one team. I don't know a lot of people that have. So I know most fans that I know, most people that I know are watching the most important games, right? It's the two, it's the rivalry games, or if it's the, the games that matter in the matter at the end of the season, right? So and the fact is the NFL, every game matters because every game is when I go home in a sense, right? It really affects your season. So maybe having less games might just make the difference. And as we talk about money, we gotta talk about the rookie, Mr. Relevant turned Mr. Relevant Brock Purdy. If Brock gets a ring, will he be able to break the bank 
and reset the quarterback market? Well, in the first case, why would he get to set the quarter? Why would he get to set the quarterback market? He's not a top five quarterback. He's not even a top ten quarterback. So what? Because he won a Super Bowl and because of his story? Look, I'm a journalist. I love the story, but I am also a reality, realistic person, and I understand that Brock Purdy is not worth fifty million dollars. He's not worth forty five million dollars. So to make him the biggest cap hit on your salary. On your team salary, why would you do that to yourself? They will probably pay him upper echelons of money in the 40, maybe 35, I think. I don't think. And that's only because San Francisco is so win now mode, they can't take the risk of making the wrong pick at QB. They know how, they know Brock's weaknesses and their strength, and they know how to play within that. Now, they could do it with another seven, six round quarterback, right? But we don't know how that's going to turn out. So they'd rather go with the devil they know than try the devil they don't know. So I think $30 million per year is a good salary for Brock Purdy. He's still in the middle class, almost upper tier. But to make him the highest paid player, when you know that he's not going to single-handedly will your team to victory, like Mahomes can, like Joe Burrow can, like Justin Herbert could, we'll see under Jim Harbaugh. So... If he could play Mahomes football, sure, give him all the money. But Mahomes has shown us that he can win in spite of a lackluster team, right? That offense is not the offense that he came into the league with, with Tyree Kel and Travis Kelsey in a better prime, you want to say, right? So Kyle Shanahan has to go to John Lynch and say, tell Brock, we need him to take less so we can keep Brandon, we can keep Debo, we can keep George Kittle, we can keep Trent Williams. We can keep the defensive line intact. Because if he takes the money, there's going to be no Brandon Ayuk. Because he's going to be gone. And if I'm Brandon Ayuk, if they ask me to take a pay cut, I'd be like, why would I take a pay cut when you're paying the quarterback that we all know on the team is not the best player on the team? Because the fact is, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert is the best player on the team. That's why they get paid the most money. But Brock Purdy to be paid $40, $50 million a year as, let's say, the top 15th best quarterback in the league? Come on, guys. Just because he won a Super Bowl and went to two NFC Championships games? That's a very, very big stretch. And I think the San Francisco points that understand that we will not win with Brock Purdy getting paid $40 million. So we got to do everything we can not pay him that. Because... There's going to be no dynasty if San Francisco wins this game. There will be one Super Bowl win, and that's it. Now, is San Francisco cool with that? Maybe. Maybe they're cool with one Super Bowl. But Kyle Shanahan has been to this, been to the NFC Conference Championship. He's been to the Super Bowl two times out of the last five years. Been to the Conference Championship four out of the last five years. So he wants to keep doing this. And he knows if he handicaps himself to Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, for a reason, he will not go to the Super Bowl again. He might go. If they win this year, he might go next year because the contract won't kick in yet. But the year after, when players want to go, they won't have the team to win because Brock Purdy can single-handedly not get you to a Super Bowl. Now, a lot of quarterbacks can't get single-handedly to a Super Bowl. But there are more quarterbacks that I would take that can 
than Brock Purdy. I would take the field than Brock Purdy. Even if I took Mahomes out of the list. And I mentioned the names already. So will Brock Purdy get paid? Absolutely. Will he get paid $40 million? We'll have to wait and see. Will the Super Bowl make a difference? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he, maybe let's say Kansas City wins the Super Bowl. Will Brock Purdy get still paid $40-$50 million? Absolutely not. I think the only way Brock Purdy can get paid $40-$50 million is if he wins the Super Bowl. If he gets, if he loses and looks average, $30 million will be his base. And I don't think there's anything going on for that. Maybe 35 maybe 36 but no 40 San Francisco, stay strong, stay solid, and stay diligent, and don't let Brock Purdy push you around. But that is it for today's episode. I had to be serious. I had to be serious. I had to be serious. Check back in Thursday for predictions of everything Super Bowl going on, and make sure to like, comment, and subscribe, and I will see you guys in the next one.